invite you to have your Bibles handy this morning. You can turn, if you'd like, to Romans chapter 6. Today is the third message in our series as it relates to the resurrection. We started on Palm Sunday talking about the actual account of the resurrection. We spoke of Jesus' death, burial, resurrection, the, the history of that from primarily Matthew, walked through that history, walked through our understanding of it. Then last week, we talked primarily about why it had to happen, why the resurrection, why was it necessary. We talked about sin, Now we have fallen short of God's perfection, for there is none righteous, no, not one, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We talked about where that sin came from, going back to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, understanding the rebellion of that day, understanding what that means for us, and understanding why it was that Jesus, not just his death, but his burial and his resurrection were so important as it relates to eternal life. Today we're going to finish our thinking on this process. It's going to be uh, a little bit shorter of a message today. In many ways, uh, it's, it's going to be a natural application. Not so much content and teaching as much as natural application of what we've talked about over the last couple weeks. We talk about what the resurrection is, the, the, the account of it. Then we talk about why it matters so much. Finally, we're going to talk about the power of the resurrection. See, the resurrection, its, its impact does not just root itself in salvation from hell. That is, that, that is only a small portion of the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, I know many of you weren't here last week to benefit from those messages per se, but you were most likely somewhere uh, learning about the resurrection of Jesus Christ, reminding ourselves of that uh, in this season. And today, for those who are in Christ, for those who have accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior, today's message is for you primarily and particularly. Today's message is going to talk about the power of the resurrection, not just to secure for you a home in heaven, but the power of the resurrection today in you, the power of the resurrection when you wake up in the morning, the power of the resurrection as it relates to the believer moment by moment, day by day. So when we think of the resurrection and speak of the resurrection, we most regularly do, as I've just mentioned, as it relates to salvation from sin, being born again, a home in heaven. And this is natural. We read, speaking of Jesus in Romans chapter 4, verse 25, he who was delivered for our offenses and was raised for our justification. And we find this to be true, that the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead completes Christ's work on our behalf. When we talk about Christ's finished work. We're talking about him certainly declaring it is finished on the cross, but the work also does include the resurrection from the dead. In that he died, our offenses were paid. In that he rose again, our eternal life is fully secured. But when one does the study, he will also find that the apostles speak about the resurrection far more in the context of those who have already come to Christ by faith than necessarily the resurrection as it relates to the context of needing to be saved. We find that the power of the resurrection is not something that we simply rely on to get to heaven. The power of the resurrection is intended by God to be the very essence of our capacity in Christ to overcome sin in this life, in this world. The power of the resurrection 
is our power for today. The resurrection is intended by God not just to be our hope of tomorrow, but it is intended to be our mindset, the context within which we live our lives. Two weeks ago, we studied his death. Last week, we considered why these things had to happen. This week, we encourage ourselves to live in the reality of the resurrection. We're going to go to a number of passages today, still somewhat of a topical message. Next week, I'm excited. We're starting into 1 Timothy. And uh, I'll start with my book sermon, and then we'll be walking through 1 Timothy. And I'm very excited about that series. But for today, we'll begin, if you've turned there, to Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 4, where the Bible says this, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Paul has just established in Romans chapters 1 through 5 the reality of the gospel of grace, that the law, that personal righteousness have no power to save. It doesn't matter how often you go to church. It doesn't matter how many times you've read through the Bible. It doesn't matter how hard you try to be good, how moral you are. We have all fallen short of Christ's righteousness. None of us has merit in himself or herself to earn the favor of God. But we, though separated from God and separated from eternal life by virtue of our sin, have been offered the free gift of salvation by grace through faith in the shed blood of Jesus Christ, the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Now, when we talk about grace, grace is defined generally as unmerited favor, a favor that is not merited. God's favor being put upon me specifically because I cannot earn it for myself. If I could earn it, it would no longer be grace. If I could earn it, it would be a transaction. It would be an exchange. I would be purchasing something. Grace is unmerited favor. Grace means I can't be worthy of it. Grace means I can't earn it. That's the whole point of it being grace. If I work, then I'm not reckoned of grace, but of debt, Romans 5 says. And so we have this grace that we have been given by God. But grace can be a dangerous doctrine if misunderstood. If we fail to recognize the responsibilities that come with liberty, then a man might fool himself into thinking that grace, unmerited favor, because it is favor that is given without merit, gives us thus a license to do what I will, since it's not my actions or my behaviors that secure my eternal salvation. Now, this mindset is not uncommon among those who cling to the carnal, but it's a mindset, and we need to understand this, which is entirely foreign to the Scripture. It's entirely foreign to the Scriptures. Much to the contrary, Paul says here in Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 4, that we, being saved by grace, not to be saved by grace, but we having been saved by grace, dare not use this circumstance within which God has favored us to continue in sin, and he appeals to the reality of the resurrection as his reasoning. 
for this statement. Paul points to a time when we were baptized into Jesus Christ. Now, this is not speaking of a, the physical water baptism. Being baptized into Jesus Christ speaks of a spiritual baptism. In the same way Paul speaks in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 2, that the nation of Israel was baptized into Moses through the cloud and in the sea. The idea there. Now, obviously, when they went through the Red Sea, the nation of Israel, they didn't get wet. That's kind of the point, right? They walked on dry land. The water was walls on either side. And yet Paul calls that a portion of their baptism. And then following the cloud, a portion of their baptism into Moses, he specifically says in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 2. So what we have here then is that they're, they're following the cloud, they're passing through the Red Sea on dry land, served as a moment of spiritual association with the preaching and the teaching and the leadership of Moses as he led them by the commandment of God out of Egypt. In the same way, our reception of grace through faith is a baptism into Jesus Christ that we spiritually associate with Jesus Christ, that we spiritually associate with his death, but here it is, not just with his death, we spiritually associate with his resurrection. We are baptized into Jesus Christ. We are baptized into his death. We are baptized into his newness of life through the resurrection, the bodily resurrection, the empty tomb. And if this is the case, then we, upon receiving the grace of God through faith, spiritually die with Christ and then are by God's grace spiritually raised with Christ in order to walk, as Romans chapter 6, verse 4 says, in newness of life. Something new. Something different. The resurrection of Jesus Christ represents the power of God to live in a different way. So Paul continues. We'll continue reading in verses 5 through 12 of Romans 6. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin. Now, if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, being raised from the dead, dieth no more. Death hath no more dominion over him. For in that he died, he died unto sin once. But in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. Can you already see how every year as we come to the resurrection of Jesus Christ, this isn't just about seeing people brought into the kingdom. Now this is, this is a part of it. Seeing people accept Jesus Christ as their savior, preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, a very important part of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But can you see how every year when late March to late April, depending on the year, comes around and it's time for, for the resurrection to be our focus, our focus does not just need to be on the day we got saved. The resurrection is the lifeblood of the believer. It is the thing that reminds me every day, no, I shall not continue in sin that grace may abound. No, because I have been raised to walk in newness of life. This is the context of living for me. That's the point. If we are dead to our sin, dead to its dominion, 
freed from its power, if Christ being raised from the dead means that death has no more dominion over him, and by virtue of our partaking in his death and resurrection by grace through faith, death has no more dominion over us, then it's also our privilege and our opportunity to regard ourselves not just dead to sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And if this is us, again, I'm speaking to believers here. If you have not accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior this morning, this is not you. You still need to be planted in the likeness of his death by grace through faith, through accepting the gospel of Jesus Christ. But if this is you this morning, if this is the fundamental essence of your character in Christ, then God forbid that we should allow sin to reign over us. God forbid that we should obey sin. This mindset, this understanding, this is the first tangible evidence of the power of the resurrection in our lives. Yes, one day we will have the perfected realization of the resurrection. Yes, the day is coming when we will stand in new bodies, bodies that are untouched by pain, untouched by sin, untouched by sorrow, when we will remember our sin no more. That day is coming, but until that day, this is where the resurrection the rubber meets the road of the resurrection. When I wake up in the morning and I say, sin shall not have dominion over me, for I am planted in the likeness of his death and I am raised to walk in newness of life. God gives us not only the capacity to do right, but the desire to do right, rooted in our redemption, in our faith in Jesus Christ, in our commitment to his call that he says, follow me. He gives us the desire, but he also gives us the ability. We skip ahead to Romans chapter 8. In Romans chapter 6, Paul would continue speaking of the, the mindset that we would reckon ourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive unto Christ. Then in chapter 7, he speaks of the nature of the relationship between the sin in our flesh and the power of God unto obedience. And he continues this idea in Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 1, the Bible says this, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ hath made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin condemn sin in the flesh that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh but after the spirit. So then, oh excuse me, for they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh but they that are after the spirit the things of the spirit for to be carnally minded is death but to be spiritually minded is life and peace because the carnal mind is enmity against God for it is not subject to the law of God neither indeed can be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. But ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, 
He that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. Now, we're not expositing this passage in full this morning. We're not going to explain all of what that means. That uh, I've done so before, and that, that will be for another day. But effectively, what Paul is saying as we summarize these 11 verses is that the law was weak, not in itself, but in the weakness of our flesh. The law reflected well the holy character of God, but what the law did not account for is the incapacity of man to fulfill it. That man had no ability, no capacity in himself to complete the law, to fulfill the law. We fall short. There's none righteous, no Not one. So Jesus comes. He dies on the cross. He raises from the dead, condemns sin and death. To this end, if the Spirit of God dwells within us, and he said particularly in verse 9, now if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. In other words, if you don't have the Spirit of Christ in you, none of this applies to you. But if you have the Spirit of Christ in you by grace through faith, though our bodies are still weak, because of our sin nature which is in us which does not go away at salvation our spirits are alive in Christ and if the spirit of Christ be in you and then here's where the resurrection comes in again verse 11 if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you if the same spirit that by his great power rose Jesus from the dead dwells in you by grace through faith then that spirit can also quicken. That's uh, old English word for to make alive, shall make your body alive, shall give your body the capacity to do right. Shall allow you to do right in your bodies. The power of the resurrection is power over sin, make no mistake. The power of a resurrection is power over the flesh. Now again, this does not mean we're going to live sinless lives. As a matter of fact, 1 John tells us if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Speaking to believers, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We're not preaching here that you are going to be sinlessly perfect after you accept Christ. But what we are reading from the word of God is that we can be through the Spirit of God that is in us. The same theme is presented more practically in Colossians chapters 2 and 3. Again, I'm taking you to passage to passage this morning. Colossians chapter 2, beginning to read in verse 8, the Bible says this, Paul writing, he says, Beware, lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men after the rudiments of the world and not after Christ. For in him, that's Christ, dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and ye are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power, in whom also ye are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands. In in prophecy, God spoke to the nation of Israel about circumcising their hearts, setting their hearts apart unto the Lord is the idea there. That's the circumcision being spoken of here, the circumcision of the heart, the setting aside of the heart for the Lord, the Spirit of God, the baptism of the Spirit. Buried with him in baptism, he says in verse 12, wherein also ye are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God who hath raised him from the dead. And you, being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, 
hath he quickened, again that word meaning made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. And having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them. Paul speaks in this passage of the reality that in Christ we are complete, that in Christ we have everything we need within us in Christ, not in us, but in Christ in us, everything we need in Christ to do his will, to continue, if we can put it in the terms of our song this morning, marching to Zion, to continue on the path of treading toward sanctification unto holiness. And he says within this context, he said in verse 12, that we are buried with him in baptism, wherein also we are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God who hath raised him from the dead. So we, having been dead in our trespasses and sins, in the uncircumcision of our flesh, have been made alive together with him. Our trespasses having been forgiven, nailing all of that to his cross to live in this newness of life. Paul would then say, if we skip to Colossians chapter 3, verse 1, as he takes the teaching of the resurrection and applies it to us as believers, he says this, if ye then be risen with Christ, that's it, that's the resurrection, right? That's us being baptized into his death and into his resurrection. That's us walking in newness of life. If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth, for ye are dead. Reckon yourselves, Romans 6 said, reckon ye yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive unto Christ. Ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, we look for that day, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth. Then he lists some. Fornication uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, covetousness, which is idolatry. For which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience. We see a small list here, most of them being sexual sins, a couple of others as well, covetousness, idolatry. If you are risen with Christ, if your home is in the heavenlies, if the power that raised Jesus from the dead is in you by grace through faith, then seek to your home. Then, then represent well the home unto which you go. Seek to the nature into which you were born by faith. If Christ is in you through eternal life, or through, through salvation unto eternal life, then let Christ be your life. And this is the power of the resurrection. Mortify your members upon the earth. Those things which do not resemble the characteristics of the resurrected life, they have no power over you save the power that you give them. So don't give them that power. Live in the power of the resurrection. The power of the Spirit of God that raised Jesus from the dead, that, that same power is in you. So live it. That power unto obedience. It's entirely possible for the believer to live in these things. So God forbid that we should continue in sin that grace may abound. God forbid that his children would persist for any reason in the things for which sake the wrath of God cometh upon the children of disobedience. God forbid that we should continue to walk in those things in which we one time lived. 
If we don't live in them, then let's not walk in them. And instead, let us live in the power of the resurrection. Let's allow the power of the resurrection to set our mind with singleness of purpose upon the righteousness which is of God by faith. And in doing so, we might echo the words of Paul. Paul was a passionate guy. He loved the Lord. He wanted to follow him. One of my favorite reflections of Paul's passion is found in Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3, beginning in verse 4, Paul wrote this. Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, and Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law, a Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. But what things were gain to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ and be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. Here it is, that I may know him and the fellowship of, uh, in the power of his, of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering being made conformable unto his death, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. Paul was not saying here that he was hoping to get to heaven. Paul was not saying that he had no security of his eternal state and that he was working his entire life to earn his way to heaven so that he could attain unto the bodily resurrection. What Paul was saying here is that he who is dead in Christ and risen with him, he wants to know experientially in his life the power of the resurrection. How is it that we know experientially in our lives the power of the resurrection? Well, we've read about it in Romans chapter 6. We read about it in Romans chapter 8. We read about it already, didn't we? We read about it in Colossians chapter 2 and Colossians chapter 3, that we would walk in newness of life, that if we are risen with Christ, that we would seek those things which are above where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God, that we would set our affections on things above, not on things on the earth. That's knowing the power of the resurrection. Paul would see the power of the resurrection one day. He would see that on the day that he steps out of this life and into the life that is to come. The trumpet will sound. The dead in Christ will rise first. The power of the resurrection will be realized. But what Paul is saying here is that he has counted all things in this life but loss that he might know just a glimmer of the power of the resurrection that is in him by faith. The power of the Spirit of God that raised Jesus up from the dead. That I may know him, he says. The power of his resurrection and even, if need be, the fellowship of his sufferings. This was the passion of Paul. This was the drive of Paul. This was the desire of Paul. And it was driven by his knowledge, by his understanding, by his reckoning of himself to be dead indeed to sin, but alive unto Christ. Christ gave up everything. He counted all things but loss on this earth in order that he might freely give us that gift of eternal life. Therefore, it's incumbent upon me. How dare I do anything less than give up whatever the Lord might ask of me. Count all things but loss. It doesn't mean he's going to take it. 
but put it all on the altar. If only, if only I might just glimpse the power of the resurrection in my life. On this day and indeed in this season, the power of the resurrection is our focal point. We speak of salvation by grace through faith. We speak of the mighty power of the cross, the resurrection to secure our redemption. We speak and we sing of our home in heaven, the mighty victory which we have in Jesus Christ that will take us to that home. We are singing together as we march to Zion. It's all true. But that victory is not just about the home that we have to come. The victory of the resurrection, the power of the resurrection is for today. It's for us. It's for those who are in Christ daily to walk in that power. Don't let the season of the resurrection pass you by in which you only rejoice in what Jesus has done for us. Let this season remind us of what Christ is doing, wants to do, can do through the power of his spirit moment by moment in our lives. The power of the resurrection, not just unto a changed eternity. The power of the resurrection unto a changed life. Thank you for listening to Pastor Jamin Wickler from Legacy Baptist Church in Buffalo, Minnesota. More information about Legacy Baptist Church and a library of sermons are available at www.legacybaptistchurch.net.